My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 111, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Samuel 5 and 6, 1 Chronicles 5 and 6, and Psalm 25. 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captures the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Haram, king of Tiri, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, and Naphia, Elisashama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Raphim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Balaam-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in the front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. 
David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Azu and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Aho was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had brought broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. First Chronicles 5 the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph, the son of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hanuk, Palu, Hezram, and Carmi, the descendants of Joel. Shammai, his son, Gog, his son, Shammai, his son, Micah, his son, Rahi, his son, Baal, his son, and Berah, his son, whom Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, took into exile. Berah was a leader of the Reubenites. Their relatives by clans listed according to their genealogical records. 
Jael, the chief, Zechariah, and Bela, son of Azaz, the son of Shema, the son of Joel. They settled in the area from Aror to Nebu and Baal Maon. To the east, they occupied the land up to the edge of the desert that extends to the Euphrates River because their livestock had increased in Gilead. During Saul's reign, they waged war against the Hagrites, who were defeated at their hands. They occupied the dwellings of the Hagrites throughout the entire region east of Gilead. The Gadites lived next to them in Bashan, as far as Salakah. Joel was the chief, Shapham the second, then Janai and Shaphat in Bashan. Their relatives by families were Michael, Meshalam, Sheba, Jorai, Jakan, Ziah, and Eber, seven in all. These were the sons of Abihel, son of Huri, the son of Jerorah, the son of Gilead, the son of Michael, the son of Jeshuashai, the son of Jehado, and the son of Buz. Ahai, son of Abdiel, the son of Ganai, was head over their family. The Gadites lived in Gilead, in Bishan and its outlying villages, and all of the pasture lands of Sharon as far as they extended. All these were entered in the genealogical records during the reign of Shotham, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, king of Israel. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 men ready for military service, able-bodied men who could handle shield and sword, who could use a bow, and who were trained for battle. They waged war against the Hagrites, Jatur, Nafish, and Nadab. They were helped in fighting them, and God delivered the Hagrites and all their allies into their hands because they cried out to him during the battle. He answered their prayer because they trusted in him. They seized the livestock of the Hagrites, 50,000 camels, 250,000 sheep, and 2,000 donkeys. They also took 100,000 people captive, and many others fell slain because the battle was God's, and they occupied the land until the exile. The people of the half-tribe of Manasseh were numerous. They settled in the land from Bashan to Baal Harmon, that is, to Senir, Mount Hermon. These were the heads of their families, Ephor, Ishi, Elil, Azriel, Jeremiah, Hodaziah, and Jadil. They were brave warriors, famous men and heads of their families, but they were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors and prostituted themselves to the gods of the people of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul king of Assyria, that is, Tiglath-Pileser king of Assyria, who took the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into exile. He took them to Halal, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gazan, where they are to this day. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Aziel, the children of Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Eleazar was the father of Phineas, Phineas the father of Ibishu, Ibishu the father of Buki, Buki the father of Uzi, Uzi the father of Zerahai, Zerahai the father of Meroath, Meroath the father of Amari, Amari the father of Ahatub, Hatub, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Ahamaz, Ahamaz, the father of Azari, Azari, the father of Johanan, Johanan, the father of Azari. It was he who served as priest in the temple Solomon built in Jerusalem. Azari, the father of Amari, Amari, the father of Ahatub, Hatub, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Shalom, Shalom, the father of Hilkai, Hilkai, the father of Azari, Azari, the father of Sarai, and Sarai, the father of 
Jezadok. Jezadok was deported when the Lord sent Judah and Jerusalem into exile by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, these are the names of the sons of Gershon. Libni and Shemai, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel, the sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites listed according to their fathers, of Gershon. Libni, his son, Gohath, his son, Zemah, his son, Johan, his son, Idu, his son, Zerah, his son, and Jetharari, his son, the descendants of Kohath, Amenadab, his son, Korah, his son, Esir, his son, Elkanah, his son, Ibishah, his son, Esir, his son, Tahath, his son, Ariel, his son, Uzai, his son, Shaul, his son, the descendants of Elkanah, Amasai, Ahimoth, Elkanah, his son, Zophai, his son, Nahath, his son, Eliab, his son, Jerhoham, his son, Elkanah, his son, and Samuel, his son. The sons of Samuel, Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah, the second son, the descendants of Merari, Mali, Libni, his son, Shemai, his son, Uzzah, his son, Shemai, his son, Haggai, his son, and Asaiah, his son. These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. They ministered their music before the tabernacle, the tent of meaning, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid down for them. Here are the men who served together with their sons. From the Kohathites, Hermon, the musician, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elil, the son of Toa, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, the son of Mahath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tehath, the son of Asir, the son of Abasath, the son of Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Hermann's association Asaph, who served at his right hand. Asaph, son of Berkai, the son of Shemai, the son of Michael, the son of Basai, the son of Malkijah, the son of Ethni, the son of Zerah, the son of Adahai, the son of Ethan, the son of Zimah, the son of Shemai, the son of Johath, the son of Gershon, the son of Levi, and from their associates the Merorites at his left hand, Ethan, son of Kishi, the son of Abdi, the son of Maluk, the son of Hashabai, the son of Amazai, the son of Hilkai, the son of Amzi, the son of Bani, the son of Shemar, the son of Mali, the son of Mushi, the son of Merari, and the son of Levi. Their fellow Levites were assigned to all the other duties of the tabernacle, the house of God, but Aaron and his descendants were the ones who presented offerings on the altar of burnt offerings and on the altar of incense in connection with all that was done in the most holy place making atonement for Israel in accordance with all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. These were the descendants of Aaron, Eleazar his son, Phinehas his son, Abishua his son, Buki his son, Uzi his son, Zerahai his son, Merohath his son, Amarahai his son, Ahitub his son, Zadok his son, and Ahimaz, his son. These were the locations of their settlements allotted as their territory. They were assigned to the descendants of Aaron, who were from Kohathite clan, because the first lot was for them. They were given Hebron and Judah with its surrounding pasture lands, but the fields and villages around the city were given to Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So the descendants of Aaron were given Hebron, a city of refuge, Libna, Jatir, 
Eshtemoa, Helen, Debir, Ashan, Jeta, and Beth Shemesh, together with their pasture lands. And from the tribe of Benjamin, they were given Gibeon, Geba, Elameth, and Anethoth, together with their pasture lands. The total number of towns dis- distributed among the Kohathite clans came to 13. The rest of Kohathet's descendants were allotted 10 towns from the clans of half-tribe of Manasseh. The descendants of Gershon, clan by clan, were allotted 13 towns from the tribes of Issachar, Asher, and Naphtali, and from the part of the tribe of Manasseh that is in Bashan. The descendants of Merari, clan by clan, were allotted 12 towns from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. So the Israelites gave the Levites these towns and their pasture lands. From the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, they allotted the previous name, towns. Some of the Kohathite clans were given as their territory towns from the tribe of Ephraim. In the hill country of Ephraim, they were given Shechem, a city of refuge, and Gezir, Jokmim, Beth Horon, Ajalon, and Gath Rimon, together with their pasture lands. And from the half Tribe of Manasseh, the Israelites gave Anir and Biliam together with their pasture lands to the rest of the Kohathite clans. The Gershonites received the following. From the clan of the half-tribe of Manasseh, they received Golan and Bashan and also Ashtaroth together with their pasture lands. From the tribe of Issachar, they received Kadesh, Deborath, Romath, and Anem together with their pasture lands. From the tribe of Asher, they received Mashal, Abdon, Hakak, and Rehob together with their pasture lands. And from the tribe of Naphtali, they received Kadesh and Galilee, Haman and Kirathem, together with their pasture lands. The Merarites, the rest of the Levites, received the following. From the tribe of Zebulun, they received Jokniam, Kerta, Rimono, and Tabor, together with their pasture lands. From the tribe of Reuben, across the Jordan, east of Jericho, they received Bazir in the wilderness, Jezah, Kedmoth, Mephath, together with their pasture lands. And the, from the tribe of Gad, they received Ramoth and Gilead, Mahanam, Heshbon, and Jazir, together with their pasture lands. Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare." Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May 
integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. You know me by now. I like to keep myself oriented in the larger story. So Marty Solomon and Brett Billings offer clarity on where the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles are situated and how they relate to the larger story. Samuel and Kings offer a historic perspective of Israel that was pretty close to the events. So the authors were writing something pretty close to what actually and when it happened. However, they were written by prophets, and prophets were not future tellers. In the Bible, they were the mouthpieces of God. And so Marty Solomon describes the books of Samuel and Kings as historical headlines with a message to tell because unlike our historical documents that seek to be somewhat objective and not account for the perspective of the author, the prophets would be more interested in telling the real history with an emphasis on the meaning and message that God is trying to reveal to Israel through the story. For me, as someone in marketing, I find this really intriguing and interesting. It's it's how we tell stories and what we emphasize or de-emphasize, the order in which we do it. Sometimes we'll use words like what, how we prime, so prepare people to think about something before we tell the story, or how we frame it, meaning the things, again, that we choose to tell and how we choose to tell it, and there's a tone you can take with it. So all of these are being taken into account, even though they didn't have these words per se, but there was this beautiful focused art and maybe science to it. But the point was these prophets were mouthpieces of God saying what God wanted to say, how he wanted it said, and then shared with us and every generation thereafter um, about who he is in this story. So it's so, so cool and really interesting to compare and reflect on to Chronicles, on the other hand, which was talking about the same story, but at least 100 years later, offering a different perspective from a chronicler, which is not a prophet. So it's more considered like the writings. So in the Jewish Bible or the Tanakh, this would be categorized under the writings. The Jewish Bible has the Torah, which we've talked about before. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. After the Torah, in the Tanakh is the Navahim, or the books of the prophets, and then the Ketavim, the books of writings. So interesting side note, the Torah, Navim, and Ketavim, so T, N, and K, is written into the Tanakh, which is spelled T, little a, capital N, little a, capital K, H, Tanakh. So it's capturing those three parts. The Navim consists of former prophets such as Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, then latter major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then 12 latter minor prophets like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Isn't it interesting that there were 12 sons that became 12 tribes, and then there are 12 minor prophets, and there will be in the New Testament 12 disciples? Something interesting there, right? Then the Ketuvim consists of three books of poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, and Job, the five scrolls, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther, and then other books such as Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and... Chronicles, which is the last book of the Tanakh or the Jewish Bible, if you will. And it's about the writings because it's part of the Ketuvim. So it's not about like which one is better, you know, Samuel Kings versus Chronicles, because they're both really important. They're part of the word of God. 
and they're talking about the story in different ways and can teach us something really interesting, important. But I think it's also interesting and important to note the perspective and what might might have been going on and what's being emphasized and how the story is being told, something rich to learn in it. And Marty Solomon describes Samuel and Kings as telling the tale of two kingdoms, the empire and Shalom. I I bet he got the empire from Star Wars, but that's a side note, where David is trying to bring God's shalom to chaos, flipping many traditions around, like we read where David sought to befriend a seemingly trustworthy enemy in one of our last stories and mourned the enemy, as well as hold accountable even his own people who are working outside of God's ways. Even if and when we think we're working for God, if we're not coming to him first or we're not doing it in his way and his timing, we're working outside of what he designed and what he wanted because we're putting ourselves first, even if we think or claim we're doing it in God's name. So David's doing some really important things here uh, in terms of bringing shalom to chaos and even holding his own people accountable. I think in the last story, they were killed for assassinating an enemy, if you will, an adversary outside of what God's will and ways were called for. And one of the cool things I want to point out in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, where the people say to David, we are your flesh and blood. Oh, just like this is so illustrative to me. Dr. John Woodhouse points out the possible imagery this creates towards what we know will be illustrated in the New Testament, where a king, which will be Jesus, will have his people who are described as a body. You might recognize the phrasing, the church being the body of Christ, the people in it being members of the body of Christ. So it's a group of coordinated, important people, elements working together to bring God's will and ways, his shalom to thrive, flourish, and when needed, restoration, redemption, and healing in Jesus' name. I feel like the Old Testament is pointing to this when, again, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, when the people really recognize David as king and call themselves the flesh and blood. I think that's so interesting. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're reading about King David as he unifies the people and conquers the city of Jerusalem and renames it Zion, or also mentioned with the city of David. Then he goes on to win many battles and expands the territory of Israel. Jerusalem, I also love how David, again, always went to God first. Should I attack these people? Should I make this defense or not? So Jerusalem, now Zion, is considered the political capital of Israel, and David also wants to make it the religious capital, bringing the Ark of the Covenant here. Dr. John Winehouse points out a few things here. One, the Ark has been neglected quite frequently, which might represent the people neglecting God's promise. And here David seems to be recognizing God as the real king, and David is before the Lord, which means underneath, and David brings the Ark, which represents God's commitment to his promises. And so there's something really interesting and important there, I think worth noting, and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we do our commentary tomorrow. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.